Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I remember when we time it was around the release of this is our life and you spoke then about how it needed to reflect the times not only for you on a personal level but also on a universal level with everything that had happened in regards to the pandemic in the last year how do you feel things have changed since and where do you see that reflected in this record i feel like things have kind of lingered into a sense of in between where people just kind of feel stuck and like they're struggling to find and like a clear path forward in life. And I think that message really sort of resonated and was amplified in, in the album with a real good person in a real bad place. Could we almost see the real bad place as being emblematic of the kind of environment that we're in as a society at the moment? Without a doubt. I mean, there's definitely implications for like a larger societal context. Um, but the struggle and, and like the central themes of the album are at the same time, like in, intensely personal. Creative struggle or a struggle outside of the music? Oh, I, th- I think it's all of the above, to be honest. Um, like those two things are forever inseparable. I mean, speaking of struggle, what do you feel is the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome on your path to creating this debut record? Man, there's been there's been so many, to be honest. You know, I don't view it as only in the vacuum of 18 months. I view it um, within a larger context of an entire lifetime and leading up to making this album and the album really is like a lifetime of experiences and thoughts and feelings and observations and struggles um it's kind of everything laid out in in one single journey when you're pulling from a memory or from an idea or an observation say from 10 years ago from earlier on in your life compared to now does that feel different in the process when you're trying to pull from further back? Um, no, not really. You know, they're all kind of these different places and benchmarks in my life that have all played a really significant role. And a lot of those thoughts and feelings and wounds are, are still extremely fresh, even to this day, especially when you write about them, they kind of take on um, 
a new a new meaning and it kind of like reopens some of those feelings do you almost need to reopen them to find closure though maybe i don't know i i I, have, I don't think i've thought it through as well as you just articulated it you know <laughs> but, but they're definitely i think you might be onto something to be honest i mean those kind of benchmarks that you're talking about do you see an emotional parallel in each one what kind of links those benchmarks for you yeah they all kind of are linked together with just like a, a general theme of struggle and, and swimming upstream and and doing things that um are different and not easy to do and sort of all the twists and turns and winds that that entails i mean talking of doing things that are different a track on this album imaginary friends almost it starts like a nine inch Nails song that was the vibes i initially got from it <laughs> and then before we know it we're into something kind of more kind of pop rock uh, pop punky type vibe and then from that it's into straight up pop and then it's this kind of spoken word almost slightly edm influenced outro how did that song develop structurally how did that kind of come together that song to me just like i really wanted to start leaning into more like a lot of more groove based decisions when making this album and just really thinking about how like those records would feel live so there was this kind of element and i don't even want to call it dancey but i think like groove based is the way to go for it um like something that you could dance to without it being dancey you know what i mean so uh, i wanted to make like my own kind of desrock's take on what that meant but at the same time like i still wanted the element of like surprise and just never knowing what's coming and having it be a journey just from the first second of the song to the last i mean it's funny that you you talk about it being dancey because the rhythm of it in terms of structurally it's almost like a dj set it's yeah like you're remixing kind of five different songs into each other and just linking them up oh totally yeah i mean i think the whole album is like a dj set in the sense that like i mean there is just so much art to how one creates a dj set and like the ebb and flow of it and when you want to get people going wild and when you want to kind of back off and let them chill for a little bit i mean you are literally like conducting you know what i mean and i think of that within the songs themselves and within the greater picture of the album itself yeah, I mean, if you're talking about surprise, I look at something like Break, Break, Break that came before it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think anyone could have seen that coming. That's something completely <laughs> thinking outside of the box. When you're meshing all of these, these genres and styles together, what do you feel like is the most important thing to bear in mind so that it works and it hangs together cohesively? I think if it always just feels like myself, that's the most important thing. Like, it always just needs to feel like Des Rocks, you know, and just be like, an exaggeration an extension of, of the existing universe um as long as it's made by me and with my bare hands like it's going to check that box you know what i mean so like that's what ties them all together without a doubt i like that phrasing you use there an extension of the universe mm -hmm. before you started working on this album did you almost have to take a bit of time to ruminate on what exactly it was that kind of was the death rock sound so far so that you could then build upon it i definitely did a lot of those like thought exercises for sure but they didn't end up having any practical function when i first got started like when i write all thinking and all brain just goes out the window and it's just all gut and all emotion and then i kind of make a big mess and i write a whole bunch of music and i produce a whole bunch of music and then i take a step back and i'm like what the hell did i just do 
You know what I mean? And I'm like, what is this? And then I'm just like, oh, okay. And I find these common threads and these strands. And then I kind of make sense out of the madness. What did you mean by those thought exercises initially? Well, like I'll, you know, I'll really like think about my, my past work and then think about where I want to go and how I want to push things and challenge things. You know, it's the, I think the more you do that, like the, the more you can become a, a critic within one's own head and that's entirely antithetical to the record making process yeah is there a danger of boxing yourself in a little bit too much because you're almost taking on the perspective of a listener instead of the perspective of the creator yeah without a doubt you know i listened to like uh one ep i'm like man this is like a really blues-based ep it was like well now how do i take one step away from this blues-based ep you know what i mean and it's like no, that's like just, you just can't boil anything creative down to something that's logical like that statement. Coming back to the idea of those thought exercises though, with a song like Tick in which you open this record, what did you need that song to do? What did it need to do to kind of set the stage for what was to follow for you? Oh man, Tick is like such an important record to me, both personally and also um, just in the context you're describing it because it's an introduction. It is like the intro to the album. And when I was sequencing the record, there were two things that were like non-negotiable for me. I was like, tick is going to open and rabbit hole is going to close. You know what I mean? And it's like this circle of life loop, those two songs bookending the album. Um, it is without a doubt, like just the intro to everything that I want to kind of lay forth after that song. Well, it feels like the most direct point on the record where you're addressing the listener. You know, when you open with that spoken word delivery, I don't know where else you could put it on the album, to be honest. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's like one of the most stripped down moments, just a guitar and vocal for the first probably 60 seconds of that song. Um, and I like to make very big and very loud music. So it's kind of like, you know, dipping your toes into the water and like just kind of giving you a little heads up, you know? So after you know that, you know, Tech is going to open the album and Rabbit Hole is going to close it, how do you go about arranging everything else in between so that it makes sense to you? Well, there's two tasks. When I'm doing that one is curating like a sonic journey and then the other is curating a thematic journey and all the pieces of the puzzle were there uh, i just needed to put them in the order that they were meant to be in so when you say so sonic journey and thematic journey can you get them to line up perfectly in parallel so that they function throughout the record or other parts where you kind of have to sidestep it a little bit in search of a general cohesiveness overall yeah there's definitely I mean, there's almost kind of like that phrase, like from film where a lot of a director's favorite scenes wind up on the cutting room floor because they simply do not fit in. So I had a similar thing with songs. There were many songs that were some of my favorite songs I've ever written, but did not make this album simply because they did not fit into the story that I wanted to tell. It's kind of the idea of kill your darlings as well, though, isn't it? Like yeah. you need to be able to get rid of those best songs and it should still be able to work. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. What's going to happen to those songs? I don't know. You know, I mean, a lot of songs end up then becoming puzzle pieces that do fit into the narrative later on. Like there are songs on this album that I wrote two, three years ago that I've just been saving. That's like a special Pokemon card that I have. And I've been waiting to put down <laughs> that card for three years because I haven't needed to put down that card yet. You know, and my process is just so manic that I'm always kind of creating these different um vibes and textures and songs and they're just not ready yet to go out and they they need to fit into something larger i mean we spoke about this last time too you're very much someone who plays the long game and you're thinking you know years ahead is that a large part of what allows you to find the method in the madness oh yeah without a doubt i mean you need like a large body of work to 
draw on you know i I wish it was as easy as i'm gonna release five songs okay i wrote five songs those are the five songs you know if i'm gonna release five songs i'm gonna draw from a pool of 20 ideas and then a concept album and then a tv special idea album and i'm gonna like take all this music and all this creative and then i'm gonna distill what i want those five songs to be how did you see that idea fitting into your live stream that you did a few months back now des rocks alive yes des rocks alive was just an amazing way to like perform songs from an ep that were released exclusively during COVID time so that to me was like both uh an outlet physically and artistically and was just a lot of fun to make how long did you go without playing live 18 months Jeez. i got home from tour on march 1st 2020. did you feel different after you performed that live stream just from like a personal point of view in your day-to-day yeah. after getting that release. Yeah, it was like a little bit of a bump. You know what I mean? Like you kind of feel back to your normal self, which is good. But it just wasn't long enough to really do um, what I've been needing it to do, which is coming up. So dipping your toe in. Yeah. You mentioned that some of these songs that have fallen on this album, you know, came from years ago. They weren't quite puzzle pieces that fit. Which songs was that? Uh, there's a song called Don't Hurt Me that was written a very long time ago. It was actually one of the first Des Rock songs I ever wrote. Yeah, and then similarly, like I've, I've done that before with um, a song called Suicide Romantics that I wrote for the last EP that um, I'd written three years before and just been tinkering with for about three years. Such an integral part of that last EP too. Oh, without a doubt. But I've just been kind of saving it. Like if I was one of the first Des Rock songs ever released, it just wouldn't have set up the stage the way I'd want it to be set up. How did you learn this lesson initially that some songs need to be saved? Was it always something that was apparent from the beginning or definitely always, did it take a few mistakes to get here? Yeah, definitely always something that's apparent from the beginning, um, without a doubt. Especially, I just know how manic my creative process is. Um, so I know it needs to be honed in with like a more rational brain like that. Where do you feel most out of control in the creative process? When does that manic side take over completely? Oh, like when I'm birthing an idea, like the labor part, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah when you're in labor with a song you're just like absolutely out of your mind like time does not exist place does not exist i'll just look at my phone it'll be like 2 30 in the morning like what just happened you know what i mean and i'll have like (laughs) a hundred texts and calls and shit like oh fuck let me get back to everybody can you create at any time then can you can you allow yourself to create or do you have to get yourself into a certain headspace no it's it's really any any time any place um like you know i don't think people think of like taking a shower as like the most like com- uh, inspiring place to get ideas but like you know that just kind of proves to you that there is really no rhyme or reason to it i think with that as well though, that's the place that you kind of let your mind run is that when you go for a walk oh yeah 100 percent. i mean any circumstance where there's kind of like sensory deprivation is really great for the creative process i think that's why so many people like take a lot of drugs to make music you know because you are kind of like numbing senses and allowing certain parts of your brain to speak and flourish without criticism and that's that's pretty important are there ways that you can cultivate that in the studio without just taking a lot of drugs no <laughs> i mean only the only way is to just put in the hours so that you allow yourself more opportunity for moments like that to occur naturally so if i am in the studio like five six seven days a week which i usually am like just working on stuff then you know you're just kind of like increasing the amount of sales you put up to catch those wins you know what i mean yes like if you play golf every day the chances of you getting a hole in one go up 
significantly than if you play once a week. Yeah, absolutely. And like just kind of doing different things and like just taking your minds off mind off things as much as you can, just allowing those moments to come naturally because it is you can't you can't force anything creative in my opinion. Which of these songs felt like the hardest to get over the finish line? Oh boy. Um there's a song called Ruby with the Sharpest Lies that was was a very tough song to finish. That one was probably the, the hardest to get over the finish line, without a doubt. That feels like the most Queen. I know you're a massive Freddie Mercury fan. We spoke about this last time, but that feels like the most Queen song really? on this record. Yeah, I think the, the swagger that it has to and what you're doing. Vocally. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, that one just went through like a lot of different versions of it before I found the version of it that I liked the best because I just kind of started with those verse hums where it's like, mm-hmm. and then from that, um i was like oh this is so cool this is kind of like this calypso halloween vibe um i was like no (laughs) nobody is like doing anything like this and like once i had that made and then i was like well what the fuck do you do on top of this you know what i mean and then (laughs) i went through so many different versions of what it could be before i found one that i was just like so excited about in terms of all those different versions topically were they circulating around a similar thing or completely i always knew the story i wanted to tell but I had no idea how to present it melodically. And I just wanted to get like, it's a fine line with like some of the, the music I make, you know, you could very quickly take a, a left turn and just be somewhere so fucking, um, so fucking cheesy or take another right turn and be somewhere so like down the middle bluesy. You know what I mean? And it's like, it needs to always just be interesting and compelling and fresh for me. Like, so I just will go down 20 different versions of the same song like i think on my hard drive i have 20 different fully recorded um melodies for the verses like i spent like days um just like recording and editing um before i got like version 21 and it ended up being like the simplest version is what i ended up with you know like on some of those first versions i'm just going so hard and just like putting way too much thought into it and like ranging it way too strictly um, before I just found something that was very free and very easy. That's interesting that it takes you kind of 21 attempts to get to that simplicity. Do you feel, is your natural instinct almost to express ideas in a complex way? Um, no, I think it's the opposite. I think it's, uh, uh, naturally it's more simple. It's when I start rewriting stuff that it gets very, very complicated very, very quickly. Because when you're first writing something, there's like a certain innocence that your gut reaction allows you where you're not thinking at all. And you just kind of spurt out an idea and it's just something beautiful and pure about that when you start rewriting you type into these different parts of your brain that are like a songwriter's brain like i'm a songwriter you know what i mean whereas in the, the birthing process you're just like i'm just a fucking free-floating maniac spirit you know what i mean um so they're very different like things like rewriting versus just writing so for like if i mean for that song version one is that almost closer to version 21 than version 10 like do you make it more progressively complex you rewrite it and then you start to come back around to simplicity it really depends it's kind of circumstantial like you might have something you're like yeah that's just okay now let me like rewrite that idea and then you're like you get so far down and then you do end up pairing it back more towards the original more likely than not did you know what that song had to do in the narrative of the album when you were right yeah 100 percent. like sonically it needed to provide a little bit of a break from just like the absolute wall of sound that you've been pounded with and maybe the two or three songs before it and narratively it just kind of needed to take away from myself for a little bit 
and provide like a slightly different um, profile. And then it almost feels like you follow it with two of the darkest songs in the album, maybe. Don't Hurt Me, I know you were saying that was written quite a few years mm-hmm. ago. One of the rawest and most emotionally kind of dark and then hanging by a thread. Similarly so. Yeah. Was that a deliberate kind of choice in this? Oh, process? absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, Ruby like very much presents uh, somebody else's story. And then Don't Hurt Me then tells uh, the story from somebody else's side. And like Ruby is so fun and playful. And then you don't realize how um, seriously the person on the other side of it is affected until you get to a song like Don't Hurt Me. Um, And then Hanging by a Thread coming from Don't Hurt Me really delves into somebody finding something that they are happy with and someone that they do love and how that person has helped them through some very, very difficult times. Hanging by a thread, for instance, I think the way that you described it previously was this idea of the, the the line that brings us back to shore when we're in our darkest times. What do you feel that lifeline is in your life when you're in one of those dark spaces? Oh my God, it's, it's family without a doubt. Yeah, just the people who you love and who love you. And those are bonds that um, are lifelong and, and more important than anything. Like having people in your life who ground you, who are your rock is, is everything. When you were creating this album at what point did you feel like you were in the darkest space throughout the process there was very much like a january february period where it was just like so freezing cold in my studio because i don't have heat in here or air conditioning the air conditioner i got this little window unit that does barely enough but once it goes over 90 fahrenheit it is completely ineffective Um, and then the heat, I got these space heaters that do barely enough as long as you're like right next to the space heater. But there was this like very desolate time and I'm right, I'm not far from the water. So it's pretty fucking windy down here. A very desolate time, uh, in January, February, the sun's setting at like 4.48 PM and I'm right across the street from a graveyard and I'm just kind of sitting here alone. So it's like kind of peak COVID vibes and, uh, just working on it in darkness and, and just, not really knowing if or when I'd ever play a show again, or if or when anybody would ever hear the music I was making. And at that moment, it was all um, much more like personal, the whole record making process. Did that give the album a weight, do you think, that maybe wasn't there previously in the process so far? Yeah, and, and most importantly, it just gives it a sense of truth. That is something that I'm always seeking in my albums, that it is, is quintessentially real. You know, there is no giant fancy studio with an army of songwriters in Los Angeles who are pumping out song after song after song, week after week after week. Like it is purely from my soul and my fingers and just with a few close collaborators who have been my my closest friends in sixth grade. And that's it. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's so like farm to table music. You know what I mean? Who do you feel is the person that pushes you most creatively? Probably uh, Jerry Lang, who co-produced a lot of the album with me. He is somebody who is just like a friend from high school who I've just known for years and been in bands with for years and is just like kind of a very kindred spirit um, and who just gives no fucks about anything. And (laughs) just like... He truly does not care about anything in the music world or music industry. And he just purely is motivated by art and what is good and what is dope and what is fresh. You know what I mean? And um, that is somebody who will just like, you know, we'll spend like 50 minutes just working on like some Moombatone idea. And I'm just like, ah, oh, what the fuck are we doing? Like, let's get focused. Like, let's work on something else. You know what I mean? And uh, but like, he'll just always throw the creative curveballs, you know? 
when when you're saying you know he co-produced it would it be a case of you take the songs to a certain point and then he adds something into it and then you kind of finish them off or how does that relationship kind of work throughout the process? yeah it's all the above you know um like i'll kind of get like a big strong foundation of a song and a production and then jerry is just like an expert at layering in just like an unbelievable amount of ear candy through automation and just really interesting sonic choices. And we kind of sit here for hours tinkering with knobs and stuff. And then Jerry will throw some like crazy idea out that then becomes some new crazy idea. And then before you know it, I'm just like up and we're doing like a whole like vaudeville outro to a punk song, you know, and it's like, <laughs> like that kind of, that kind of chaos. And we kind of create in a bubble, man. Like we don't, compare to anything else that's going on in the rock music world right now and that has always served me well talking of the can of the ear candy and the 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 added bits of sound that you drop and i want to ask about the chainsaw on the mmc yes when did that come into the process well like we just really wanted it to be so cinematic and uh we just had this I almost had it like in my mind as like some like stage production of Les Miserables of like people being guillotined and it's like a whole choir of people singing. And I was like, just bringing it to this like punk rock world. And just the idea of somebody having like their head cut off at the end of the song was very thrilling to me. <laughs> Have you always had this kind of, um, attraction to scope? Do you think? Oh yes. I've always been a very, uh, I've always grown up being obsessed with like big music, you know, and music in arenas and stadiums. And that is just larger than life because that's the music I like. I like music that is larger than life. Is this where the, uh, the attraction to the TV specials comes back to too, maybe? Oh, without a doubt. You know, just anything that is escapist is central to my, to my music and my art. And that's what music has always been for me is an escape. It's so crucial for me. I mean, with this album, we, we kind of touched upon it at the start, but it very much feels like a kind of complete cohesive vision, kind of looking at a lot of different sides of yourself. And like you were saying, you know, it kind of can trace it back over the last 10 years. Are there any sides to yourself that you feel you are still yet to explore in your music? Oh my God. Yeah. There's a whole album of it waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just just wait. Yeah, that'd be fun. Are those sides were they just not included because they don't feel like we were saying relevant to this kind of narrative? Exactly. I mean, we again we touched upon it near the beginning. The 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 nature of the album, you know, where it kind of hops from genre to genre, and we were touching upon it a moment ago too with the air candy, and then it's always surprising you. Mm. How would you describe the role that your attention span? plays in the music oh yeah like i probably have extreme attention deficit disorder you know i'm just constantly i'm constantly bored when things become too homogenous which is probably antithetical to like every playlist and radio format and everything like that but i just find something so thrilling in being able to seamlessly hop from vibe to vibe without it feeling with it feeling within the same exact artist vision you know i take queen for example with crazy little thing called love being like a rockabilly song and bohemian rhapsody being a rock opera and another one bites the dust being a disco track you know what i mean and technically you could call them whatever you want each song but it's all queen well, again, this comes down to what we're saying about the singular vision. You can boil it back down to Freddie Mercury. Mm -hmm. 
without a doubt. And at the heart of every one of those songs is a very personal story, even though they kind of take on this huge scope. Yeah, and they're all just his voice. And you all know kind of the part of his soul that they're coming from um, or the band members' souls, you know? Like, I feel like that's such a lost art today where everybody is expected to fit into a lane for convenience of categorization. But I don't really feel that need. It is kind of a little bit of what MMC was touching upon too. That feels like a song that's very much a comment upon the music industry and certain people's attitudes towards the way that they create a music at large. Without a doubt, because I think once you do fit into a box, um, trying to stay within it just makes like the worst music ever, you know? So guiding your creative choices by what lane I fit into is, is so whack and so antithetical to rock music. It's kind of, it reminds me of Kerouac too, I think. We touched upon him last time also, but the way that you move from genre to genre almost feels like a parallel to his writing. You know, the way it kind of bounces oh, from thing to thing. Thank you. Yeah, there's almost like um, a nonsensical um, madness to it all. And yeah, like Kerouac, who could like write prose and poetry and a book, and they're all uniquely thrilling and they're all uniquely Kerouacian, if that's a phrase, you know, um, without a doubt. What do you think was the biggest risk you took with this record? Self-producing a lot of it, self-mixing a lot of it, just not having, not having put the record on the normal path and manufacturing process that my contemporaries do. Was that ever a temptation? Oh, without a doubt. And I did several weeks with like a, a, a big producer who was an amazing guy. And, uh, but like, I just ended up not using any of the material because it just didn't end up fitting into um, what I had in mind, you know? Did that experience have any impact upon the idea of what you wanted to create though? Yeah, without a doubt. I think it just kind of reassured me that nobody else really has some sort of like answer that I don't have in what I'm looking for. And that what I do seek in, in creation is is like artistic collaboration you know what i mean and uh, it's not so much man if i just had this snare drum sound if i just had access to this studio if i just had access to this team of songwriters then i'd really have something you know like the answers are within yourself the whole time and bringing them out and showing them to the world is, is paramount This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.